1: One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly
0: coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com.
1: You're listening to Blue Jays Nation Radio with Cam Lewis and Tyler Uremchuk, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts.
2: Episode 158 of Blue Jays Nation Radio. Kumzi, I'm happy to be back with you, but holy shit, could the Blue Jays do anything positive? That was a miserable weekend of baseball on the one weekend of the year where the vibes should be the absolute highest at Rogers Centre. That was brutal. That was brutal, and I don't I I don't even know what to say with this team anymore. It's it's frustrating.
1: No, oh, yeah. Last podcast, me and Brandon had, we had really positive vibes heading into this. We were almost, um, after the last series, we were almost all positives. We were like, they've won three series in a row, two and one, two and one, two and one. They're like the 2016 team. It might not be pretty, but they get the job done. They'll excel during the dog days of summer. They'll beat teams because of their pitching. They'll beat teams because of clutch hitting. And then... Boston's rolling into town for Canada Day weekend, and they've lost five games in a row. They're in last place in the AL East. They're imploding. The Jays can they have a perfect chance here with all the energy from Canada Day weekend. They can beat the Red Sox and shove them down further down into fifth place, and they did not do that. They lost all three games, and it was... Pretty much as bad as you can imagine, right? Like all those games being like heartbreaking losses, like I'd probably rather just tune out of like a 9 nothing blowout than watch some of the ways they lost. Like in the third game, they essentially got walked off in their own building. It felt like they were on the road, though they were at home. And then, of course, the play at the plate in the second game, incredibly frustrating. Uh, Just an awful weekend. Very bad for the Bubs.
2: Let's get into three up three down and coming up with three downs for this series was (laughs) remarkably easy. Uh, We can just go game by game for the most part. Um, Game one, you only get three hits. You're not winning a lot of baseball games when you only come up with three hits. Jose Barrios looked average for the first time in a long time, which I mean, whatever you could spin that as a positive, right? He's uh, he, he's been so good for so long that if one of these happens every two months, I'm not going to sit here and like carve the guy, but to me, the bigger thing was the offense. Like you've got to have games where your offense can come through and and pull you through when you're starting pitchers average.
1: Yeah, they they had gone pretty much. They'd gone the entire season. It was the Miami series that they got shut out for the first time. <laughs> they had gone the entire series until mid June before they were shut out, and now they've been shut out three times in the past few series. And this is the worry about the team is that is the offense good enough? I think we all feel pretty good about the pitching for the most part. The starting rotation's yeah. been strong, though. I'll, I'll bring up later on, once we talk about the third game, that the bullpen's clearly like very taxed and they need some help. But that's the thing we worry about with this team is, is the offense. They gave up a lot of their offensive depth last year, and in yeah. recent games, they, they, in the past few weeks, shut out three times, and not by great teams. The Red Sox aren't a fantastic pitching team. It was James Paxton, though, to be fair, like, uh, you know, James Paxton always seems to pitch well in Canada. It's kind of a shame that that game didn't come one day later on Canada Day, because if they're going to take an L on Canada Day and get carved up by somebody else, at least have it be a pitcher from BC. That's kind of a cool thing to happen, but it comes the day before, so it's not as great, but yeah, I mean, Paxton's a fine pitcher, but not one where you're going to be sitting there feeling good about yourself, only getting three hits in a game and not scoring once. That's that's, that's not good. it's It's, it's not possible at all to even find a positive from that game offensively. With the Barrios thing, it's, you know, if, if if we're at the point now where six innings, four earned runs, no walks, five hits, eight strikeouts is a bad start, then that's great because last year his bad start was, you know, eight earned runs over three innings and we're not seeing those anymore. If this is going to be his clunker, then that's fantastic. That's a number two or three starter.
2: Yeah, 100%. I I had no problems with Barrios in that game. Like Again, he got hit a bit. Strikeout pitches were still going. Didn't walk anyone. Like That was just one of those games where it's like, okay, they got to you a little bit. Dust off your hands, move on to your next start. Nothing worrying there. It's the bats for me, and it will continue to be the bats. In game two, uh, Yusei Kikuchi. This is kind of how the year's been going for Yusei Kikuchi. It's been a couple of starts where you go, hey, he might have it, and then a start. Like the one against Boston, where it's like, okay, they're, they're, they really do hit him hard. Um, he doesn't even get out of the fifth inning in this one.
1: Yeah, that was a frustrating one because he had really looked like he he had found his kind of best groove there that he had really had since joining the Blue Jays as a free agent. He against Miami had that. Six innings, only two hits, no walks, no earned run start. That's after that when we were saying, hey, that's probably his best start as a blue jay ever. And then after that the Oakland A's next. Yeah, and then after that he dominated Oakland. Seven innings, strikes out eight guys, only one earned run. And I mean bear in mind, these are the Marlins and the Athletics. So like these are pretty bad teams. Whereas the Red Sox, they have a good lineup. They the the one thing they can sort of do is hit. And I mean, that's what they did against Yusei Kikuchi. At, at least the positive thing there is the strikeouts and the walks. It's not like, you know, last year, his horrible starts where he was walking everybody. It was five, six walks, just a disaster. This this time, it's, it's not horrible. Four and one third, seven hits, two walks, seven strikeouts, five earned runs. It's bad but it's not last year bad. I'm, I'm really digging hard for silver linings here, but it's yeah. not the easiest, but I'll, I'll say it's I'll, I'll I'll take that this year's shitty Kikuchi over last year's. That's for sure. Yeah, hundred percent.
2: The Kikuchi thing wasn't even the biggest no. talking point out of game two. It was the final play of the ball game. Vladimir Guerrero jr. Down Oh, two or one, two, whatever it was, finds a way to shorten up his swing and slaps a beautiful base hit to right field textbook stuff with two strikes. That was great. Springer comes in one run game. I think it's worth noting as we get into this that Matt Chapman was having himself a hell of a ball game. He was hitting well. He's coming up to bat. Bobochet's the tying run on second and he rounds, gets thrown out at the plate and the immediate aftermath was everyone was mad at Bo. And he, when this stuff happens, like I get going after the player first, also there's a portion of this fan base that for whatever reason seems to love making Bobochet the whipping boy whenever he messes up. I'm actually a little and you can correct me if I'm like way off base here, because maybe I am. I'm actually a little bit more pissed off at how Louis Rivera handled that at third base simply because and they said on the broadcast, you can run on any outfielder except Alex Verdugo. He without a doubt has the best arm on that team. And I look, watched the video where it kind of isos Louis Rivera. That ball is hit hard right at Verdugo. Louis Rivera at first is waving and then he just throws up the little one hand stop sign. If you're in Bo head there, you are coming hauling ass around third base. The adrenaline of it being Canada Day. You know you're the tying run. The crowd is loud. You're rounding. You look up. At first, when you're coming around third, you're seeing the wave. And then after you're already around the base, boom, the one hand goes up. I, I feel like Louis Rivera could have read that a little bit better and gone... Ball hit right at Verdugo, immediately Chapman on deck, we're not scoring him. Like, two hands up, don't even let Bo think he has a chance to round the base. Two hands up, he fielded it cleanly, you're not going. I think Bo got a little bit too much hate there. That's a competitor, and if you're going to be wishy-washy and wait and send him home, and then at the last second just kind of throw your one hand up, not even like a two-handed, like, whoa, 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 stop. It was like a one-handed, like, "Uh uh-uh. Come on,
1: like a little wave.
2: <laughs> yeah, like what are we doing here? And you saw Bo hesitate because he's again at first he's seeing that he's getting waved home, mm-hmm. and he rounds the base hard, and then at the last second he sees Louis put his hands up. If Bo slams on his brakes where he did when he hesitated, he probably gets thrown out at third base. I, I just, I think Louis Rivera could have played that better, and he probably should have just, in hindsight, held Bo up right from the get go. At the same time. Even from Bo's perspective, again, if you slam on the brakes there, you might get thrown out at third base when the adrenaline's going and it's a big moment. Take the chance that the catcher doesn't field it cleanly. Why not? Why not? Who cares? Take a chance that you're going to get that weird rule call where the catcher's like leg is an inch over home plate and you can say he didn't give you a lane. I didn't hate that from Bo Bichette. I was frustrated in the moment. And as I look back on it, I was more irked at how Louis Rivera handled it as the third base coach.
1: Yeah, that's where I'm at, too. I mean, the the situation kind of called for let Matt Chapman try and bat and drive in the winning run. I don't think Kenley Jansen looked great in that appearance. He usually doesn't pitch that long, and he had to come into the eighth inning because Josh Winkowski got lit up, and that was Chapman's at-bat previously. He had the home run. Um, Yeah, Jansen doesn't usually pitch that long, and it was reasonable to assume that chapman can come up and drive in the run but again when you're when you're when you're bowing that situation the adrenaline's high like the crowd is loud you're going and i think you're you're bang on with saying the third base coach was really half and half on that and should have been further down the line giving him more of a hard stop or been giving him like a like a hard windmill like gun it gun it gun it and make Boston try and make a play they're not a good defensive team by any stretch of the imagination like yeah Verdugo's got a good arm but it's not this isn't like a gold glove outfielder who routinely makes great plays from the outfield yeah. to home play this is like, we, we've seen the Red Sox um, and I mean bear in mind that they've been better this year because they've really really done well against the Jays but this isn't a team that defends incredibly well they kick the ball around and they fuck up quite a bit so it's it's completely fine from the player especially when this is like the, the new 2023 Blue Jays Thing they're like uh, they're that great defensive team with all this speed. They play a little bit more small ball. Like they pick up the extra base. They go from first to third. That's what they're trying to do. That's that's their whole thing. So I know I don't blame the player for that whatsoever. It's like you said. It's 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 not clear from the third base coach what was going on, and I mean it wasn't played particularly well. But yeah. at the end of the day, you shouldn't be in those situations. They this was a game they could have won. They had a variety of different chances to score some runs. It probably didn't have to come down to the ninth inning, but. That's the way it was. And they, as, as, as it has been all year against the American League East, they just haven't been able to come up with a big moment. And that game was begging for big moments. There was so many chances, so many times, eighth and ninth inning where they could have come through with a big hit that would have blown the roof off the place, but just couldn't do it. And that's really been the story this year with the American League East specifically.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm, I got some interesting stats on that. There was another thing that really pissed me off. This is like a micro thing, though. So you mentioned Kenley Jansen not having his best stuff. Kevin Kiermaier comes up first, that inning first pitch called strike. Okay. Kenley Jansen's attacking the zone, right? You're the first guy in the inning. I don't blame him for not swinging out or whatever. George Springer comes up next. What is it? First pitch called strike. Kenley Jansen is attacking the zone. Boba comes up third. You can't throw Boba a first pitch strike. He swings at the first pitch no matter what, but it's a first pitch cutter right down the pipe. Bo hammers it third guy up Brandon belt. I think at that point you should kind of be like, Hmm, three straight first pitch strikes, Right. First pitch. Where is it? Like belly button high. Brandon Belt just doesn't get enough of it. Vladdy comes up next. There have been four consecutive first pitch cutters. A couple of them just right down the pisser. And what does he do? He watches a cutter basically right down the middle. It was like a little on the inside part of down the middle, but like almost right down the middle. I was losing my mind. I was sitting there before Jansen through the pitch. And I was like, like, especially because Bobajet hammered that first pitch. And if it's, two feet higher. It's over the fence at the tie game. Vladdy watching that first pitch. I was, I almost turned off the TV and didn't watch. I had like lost hope. I'm like, what are you doing right now? If you're not going up there after watching him throw four straight first pitch, strike cutters, basically the only pitch he was throwing to those first four hitters. And you watch it almost right down the middle. I was losing it. Small (laughs) thing, I know.
1: That's what I mean when I said like the, the the that game, specifically that game was begging for a big moment and they had it. It was right there. It was gift wrapped to them and they didn't come through. And that's they've done that all year against the AL East. All year.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And my big thing, another reason why like I'm not mad at Bo is if I was running a ball team, I want guys who want to be the guy. Yeah. Not that you want guys being reckless and stuff, but like crave the big moment, right? You want to be the hero in a sense. And Vladdy going up there and watching that first pitch. I was like, oh, my we would have
1: dude. In 2015, when guys like Josh Donaldson or Kevin Pillar did plays like that, if the same thing had happened, fans would have been like, you know what? Yeah, that's all right. So, I mean, I don't think our perception should change now, depending on who the player is. 100%.
2: All right, there's our second down. It was uh, the drama that came at home plate to end game two. The bats were quiet in game one. They came alive in game two, but they couldn't get the win. In game three, they managed to put up four runs. They had a lead, Coombsy, and they blew it. Um, that was a very disappointing one. Alex Verdugo, again, playing hero for the Boston Red Sox. He's just an absolute pain in the ass for this blue Jays team. Um, yeah, I, that was a frustrating one. Kevin Gosman was grinding. It's interesting when you watch these Kevin Gosman starts where it almost feels like after the first inning, you can tell what kind of a start it's going to be. If his pitch count stays low in that first inning, it feels like he just kicks it into cruise control for the next three or four in this one. Like he got the first batter down 02 and then Duran gets on with a bloop single and he had battled to kind of face six or seven pitches, whatever it was. And then it seemed like every batter was getting him through six, seven, eight pitches, six, seven, eight pitches. And it just, the, the tone wasn't set right off the jump for Kevin Gosman. And so he still pitched good, but it was disappointing to not get the ace like start that maybe you would have wanted. From Gosman, and then the bullpen was just out of juice. I think that's the big down is that the bullpen couldn't come through and, and secure a victory for you when you put up four runs.
1: Yeah, that's that's definitely the big conclusion to draw from this game. Is I mean, there's there's nothing really you can say about the Gosman start. The Red Sox have seen him like what what is it now six, seven times, eight times between this year and last already over the course of a season and a half. Like they've seen him so much that you know, inevitably he's not going to be able to carve them up every single time. Five innings, five hits, one walk, only two earned runs and seven strikeouts. Really can't complain about that. That's that's your... Just nothing wrong there. But then with the bullpen, you know, Tim Meza comes in. He can only get one out. Two guys get on. Jimmy Garcia has to grind to get through that. And he works around a walk. And then Eric Swanson comes in for the second day in a row. He gets tagged. He allows a couple of earned runs. Then Trevor Richards throws the um, three up, three down, three strikeout inning, which is great. He's been fantastic. And then Romano. This was <laughs> this was actually kind of funny because they finally... it's It was his first time in the entire series. And they finally got a chance to put on the Romano... You know, it's all canned a themed red aesthetic video that they do with the light show, and they finally have a chance in the third game when they're tied going into the top of the ninth inning for their closer to come in and for them to do all that. And then immediately he allows a solo home run to Alex Verdugo. And I said this earlier. It 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 felt like they got walked off at home. Like they could have just yeah. ended the game right there and not played the bottom of the ninth. Like the Jays had lost in the top of the ninth inning. And I think the fact that and I, I really don't like to be this, this overly pessimistic, um, negative guy because I think when you're going into a bottom of the ninth situation already losing, you're more likely to lose the game than you are to win. The pitcher is going to beat the batters more often than they do. That's just, that's just normal. But, um, given the way things have gone, no one was expecting a rally in the ninth inning. Nobody was. Nobody was thinking, oh yeah, they're going to, you know, someone's going to draw a walk and steal second and then they're going to single a man. And then the next guy is going to hit a bomb. Nobody was thinking that. And that's just the unfortunate thing I think with, and I don't know if this is entirely rational or maybe it's just the way the weekend went and the way the season has gone against the AL East opponents. You just don't really expect them to come through with that big moment. And The previous game, again, it was asking for it to happen. This game, same thing too. Like Romano comes in, you, you, you expect, you hope for at least this, this great top of the ninth inning strikes a couple of guys out, gets everyone fired up. And then the Jays hit their walk off home run, but this was Boston's weekend, man. This is (laughs) the the Red Sox rolled into town and made it about them. And the Jays just kind of let it happen. They just, they just sat there and had their weekend taken away from them.
2: You even just look at that last game. And I mean, Duran first off four doubles like that, that dude is the definition of hustle. Cause like a couple of them had no business being doubles either, but that's just how they played. Like you even think about the play where Vladdy fired it in the left field and then Barsho bobbled it. Like that series ended with the Red Sox, just putting their foot down and being like, we're we're not just going to beat you. We're going to like borderline embarrass you. We're going to out hustle you and just flat out destroy you in this ball game. It, it was honestly kind of depressing to see again this Jays team. We've gone back to this conversation a handful of times, Cam. But this Jays team that coming into spring training was supposed to play good fundamental baseball, hustle really hard. They they might lose, but they'll never get outworked. They'll never lose in the fundamentals. That game they got outhustled. They got out fundamental. I did not even a word, but whatever. You get what I'm saying? <laughs> like, right? Like just, the Red Sox beat the shit out of them in every category.
1: Yeah, the Jays. So everyone, everyone knows about the struggles with the American League East. Of course, we've, we've, we've mentioned. 7 it, and 20. Yeah. Yeah. So now, now there's 7 and 20 against the division all told and they're 0 and 7 against Boston. They went 16 and 3 against Boston last year. And, you know, that, that was the difference between them being in and not. If you reverse those records, the Red Sox are a playoff team and the Jays are the middling team in purgatory who finishes around where, you know, Anaheim and teams like that are finishing. And I, I actually kind of wonder, um, the the, the the Jays beat the wheels off of the Red Sox last year with some horrifically embarrassing games like I, I think specifically to that one in Boston and I think Duran was the center fielder there right with the Tapia inside the park grand slam oh, yeah. where he's just got his arms in the air and he has no idea where the ball is and then they round the bases and it's like one of the dumbest things you'll ever see in a baseball game. And then you go back to the offseason. I remember Alex Verdugo was um, appeared on a podcast and he was talking about Alec Manoa kind of unnecessarily chirping guys. And it was weird because we hadn't really heard much talk from that during the season. So we were like, is there actually a beef between these teams? It kind of just seemed like the Red Sox were bad and the Jays had their number. But do you think that last year the Jays beat them so bad and kind of rubbed it in their faces so much that the Red Sox are now coming into 2023 and their World Series is beating the Blue Jays?
2: Do you see how Nick Pavetta was acting pitching in that ball game? Like, I mean, I get he's a Canadian guy pitching in Canada, but like that felt like more than just, I want to pitch well. That felt like I want to beat you very badly. And,
1: and, and Verdugo's home run, you see, you know, yeah. yeah, Like uh, Duran, when he was, Getting all of his doubles, like man, they look charged up, and and I'm not sitting here complaining. I'm not blaming them or mockingly saying, "Ooh, the Red Sox, your World Series is beating the Jays." I don't blame them at all. If the the roles were reversed and the Jays last year went, you know, three and sixteen against Boston, and 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 it was you know Tapia in center field putting his arms up in the air and somebody else hitting the inside the park grand slam, and you know, we'd be thrilled if Vladdy was hitting a home run and pimping it. Who cares? Like this is what it is. But I, I do wonder from Boston's perspective if if they just got beaten so badly that they came into this year and they're like those games that we have against the blue jays are circled on the calendar and we have to win those games and they're they're like they're in man like they they play those games like they're playoff games and i don't think the jays are matching that energy at
2: all Mm -hmm. all right uh you 16 and 28 now on canada day for the blue jays do they burn the red jerseys never wear them again i don't know um i kind of like them i know some people love to be and i think again this is unique because me and you are Western Canadians who are diehard Jays fans and a lot of people I think in Toronto love to like oh my god wearing red why are you doing that like blah 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 and they almost like push back against the Canada's team thing but for me way out here I love that the Jays embrace the Canada's team thing
1: yeah, it's it's great for all the fans everywhere else. I mean, of course, Toronto people in Toronto don't really care about that. That's sort of just what it is. But I, I I don't have a problem with the red jerseys. The one qualm I have with them, though, is they do sort of look like Rogers branded jerseys. So when they're wearing them, they really have like uh, these are the Rogers Toronto Rogers
2: communications, <laughs> Toronto Blue Jays energy to me. I do think they look nice, though. I like the red. I think it's sharp. I think it's sharp, too. Uh, All right. I got some stats I want to throw your way. These come from Brian Swain on Twitter. And he said the Blue Jays make absolutely no sense. And he had a little thread here. They have 16 wins this year when scoring three or less runs. That is the most in the majors when scoring three or less runs. They have 19 losses when they score four or more runs. That's tied for the third most in the majors. That is such a weird flip flop between those two. I think, um, I, I wish I had written these stats down because I just saw them uh, last night on
1: Twitter. People were talking about both Jordan Romano and Eric Swanson have significantly better numbers when they're protecting a lead than when they come into a game either, you know, they're losing by one run, they're trying to keep it close, or the game's tied, trying to keep it close, like last game situation when, when they're tied and Romano allows the ninth inning home run. It seems like those are the situations where these guys are imploding. Whereas when they have the adrenaline, I guess, from... Yeah. A lock things down situation they seem to get the job done so i guess that's a positive but i i circles all the way back to man this bullpen really needs some help because some of these guys their arms are going to fall off if they have to pitch in the second
2: half like they did in the first half uh the next one he said 38 wins against non-divisional opponents that is the second most in the majors 20 losses in their division, also second most in the majors. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. It'll hurt them come tiebreaker time if that's indeed a factor, but it is crazy the way they just can't seem to come through in big ball games.
1: Well, this is this is the thing about about them that's so disappointing. Like you can look at the record and be fine with it. Like they're they're right in the mix for a playoff spot. This is pretty much where they were last year. They made the playoffs. You know, um, we we've, we've seen a million times go all the way back to different seasons. Twenty fifteen, for example, two thousand twenty one as well. They had a fantastic second half and really found their groove. But the the worrying thing is, you still have to beat those teams in your division, and all four of the opponents in the division are good. And the fact that they aren't coming into these games and figuring out ways to win. Just makes you wonder, are they the fifth best team in the American League East? You can be the fifth best team in the American League East and still be one of the better teams in the AL. They could be the sixth best team in the AL, but there's an argument to be made that they aren't, they're the worst team in their division because they straight up just can't go into a game. And so many of these games are like playoff atmosphere games and just match the energy the other teams are coming through with, especially with Boston, especially with Baltimore. It's, it's, it's been very jarring to see. It's, it's, it's weird to see another team put up games like that, and the Jays just don't really have a response for it. You know what I mean? It it sounds really simple to say, and I'm looking for words that don't sound so generic and corny and like hockey brain, but... It's, 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 it's just stunning to see a team with playoff and World Series aspirations go against their divisional opponents time and time and time again and just find different ways to lose, not just bear down and just even take one out of three in the series from Boston or one out of four in that series when they were in Boston. The Series against Baltimore, too. Like the, the Orioles just look like they, they, they can roll and beat the Blue Jays at will.
2: Yeah. Um, just taking a peek at one other one here yet. Oh, it was about, uh, to the way they hit <laughs> this is great a 263 batting average with the bases fully empty that is the second highest in the majors a 241 batting average with runners in scoring position that ranks them 25th with no one on second best team at getting base knocks with runners in position 25th i don't know if it's bad luck no clutch gene whatever That can't you're not making the playoffs with that number. Is that like a
1: bad depth thing? Like I'm I'm kind of looking looking at the like the roster composition and the lineup and the sequencing, and you think like, okay, you got the guys at the top, they're getting on base, but you got a lot of guys at the bottom who are not contributing a hell of a lot. So maybe it's that. Like the the one, two, three, four spots are getting on, and then the five through nine spots just aren't doing it. That would be my guess based on what those numbers mean but i don't know like uh, we (laughs) there haven't been very many positives to draw offensively the lineup really does leave a lot to be desired i don't i don't i don't think it's just a clutch gene thing but no i i do agree with you
2: something's missing something's wrong something's weird uh we were struggling to come up with three positives for the three up portion (laughs) of today's show um low-hanging fruit brandon belt two bombs uh do you have anything
1: yeah, Brandon Belt hit two homers. Uh, Trevor Richards had a great inning of there relief where he struck out three guys. Yeah. Um, pfft, the series is over. The All Star break's coming up.
0: <laughs>
2: yeah. Uh, oh, is Vladdy in the home run derby. I haven't had a chance to do a pod since that was announced. Uh, this is going to fix his swing. I promise you that.
1: Yeah, look for a minute there. Like his swing was turning around. He had all those home runs at home. And we we're like, he's back.
2: Yeah. I think he just needs, he needs a good vibes moment this season it and going does. out and doing well in the home run derby would certainly be that. Um, Here's a good third up for you. The Jays are still only a game and a half out of a playoff spot. And while we're sitting here, doom and gloom about what's happened recently with this team in the month of June, now that it's officially over only one team in the entire American league had more wins than the Toronto blue Jays in the month of June. It was the Tampa Bay Rays who were 17 and 10. The Jays were 16 and 11. Um, third on that list, there was two teams, the Rangers and guardians had 14 wins apiece. but you look at the rest of that Jays division, the Red Sox were under 500, the Yankees were under 500 and the Orioles were only 13 and 11. So like the Jays gained a game and a half on the Orioles last month, the Jays gained three games, I think on the Yankees that month, and they gained three and a half games on the Boston Red Sox that month. Hey, if you can do that again in July, if you can gain kind of three games on every divisional opponent every month. With the exception of the Rays, you're, you're probably going to make the playoffs.
1: Yeah, they're not. That's the thing is I, I don't want to, we don't want to sit here and be so doom and gloom negative like it's, yeah. they're so bad and they got to blow it up at the trade deadline. That's obviously not the case. Like if, if, if things continue largely rolling as they are, unless one of the other teams like Anaheim or Houston or the Red Sox or you know baltimore whatever goes nuclear down the stretch then they can probably just ride a kind of win two of three each time blah 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 no real hot streak but 2016 style like we're playing well we're not amazing they can ride that into the playoffs so like we're not talking like this is the end of the world it's it's mostly the record against the division that's that's so disappointing because when you see that it 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 makes it a little bit difficult to wrap your head around winning a playoff series against those said teams, which they're eventually going to have to do if they get in.
2: 100%. Uh, all right. Three games coming up against the Chicago White Sox. We've got some other stuff to get to as well. But first, we'll step aside for a quick break.
0: Ryan Reynolds here
2: from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices
1: And
0: save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.
2: All right, Coomzy, Uh you mentioned the All-Star break is coming up. Home Run Derby. Vladdy's going to be there. He was also named an All-Star. His third All-Star appearance. He's got teammates joining him in Seattle as well. With Kevin Gosman, Bo Bichette, and Whit Merrifield all appearing. Um, four guys in the All-Star game. I, I mean, that's good. I, It's whatever to me. Like, these Kind of seem it seems weird this year the guys who are and aren't in the All Star game but nice to see four of them get recognized I guess yeah I think
1: uh, we kind of expected there to be four of them and and Gosman Blatty and Bo are the obvious ones I didn't think Whit Merrifield would be the fourth Blue <laughs> Jay All Star but I thought it would probably be Matt Chapman or even Kevin Kiermaier but here we are sure four All Stars makes sense the Jays are a, a good team. They have a lot of star power, yep. so this this adds up. I I hope that when they do uh, um, replacements and such, since a lot of the replacements wind up being pitchers, I hope one of the like random relievers gets in, like Tim Mesa. He's been so good this year. It'd be funny to see a guy like that get a nod. Like they've they've had relievers in the past, like Steve Delabar got in that one year, Brett Cecil got in. Uh, there was another one too. I just can't remember. Uh, it's always nice to see guys like that get recognition.
2: Yeah. Uh, also, Alec Manoa made a start at double A in New Hampshire yesterday. He went five innings and it didn't get off to a good start, but he seemed to really dial it in around the third or fourth inning. He ends up with a finishing line, three hits, three walks, one earned run and 10 strikeouts over five innings. I think in the fourth inning, he struck out three straight batters, three up, three down. Um, so I, I don't know if they're going to bump him up to triple A quite yet. He could pitch again on Friday though. Uh, I think maybe one more double A start makes sense. Go like a double A start, a triple A start. And if all of that goes well, then maybe you consider bringing him back up to the majors at some point. But after all of the, I don't know, drama outrage over how he pitched in the Florida coast league when he just got lit up, looking back at him pitching, you know, pretty well at double A makes me think. And I saw someone else had this theory on Twitter too. I think that Florida coast league game was go out there and hammer the strike zone, throw strikes let's get back to just doing that and hitters teed off on him cuz they just knew what was coming um at double a it seemed like he had more of an approach a game plan he pitched it more with like a i'm trying to win and do well mindset not just a, i'm trying to throw strikes and the results came along with it so that's an encouraging sign for manoa
1: yeah that was our writer brennan brennan delaney who had that point there about the 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 complex league um yeah, those, those games down in Dunedin and Florida at the spring training complexes with those, with those young teams are, they're not really games. They're more thought experiments. You're, you're testing different stuff out. You're going to tell your pitcher to go out there and exclusively throw fastballs or changeups. And all you care about is command. And then on the other side of that, you have a batter who's some, um, you know, 19 year old who got drafted last year out of high school who's like, Oh yeah, when I want to hit a home run off of this major league baseball pitcher. So he's throwing you batting practice. You're just going to drill it. Uh, the, the results in double A are more realistic, but I, I don't know. I have a the three walks over five innings against double-A opponents for me just kind of illustrates the exact same problem is still there. Like, yeah, he can rear back and strike guys out at this level because they're not that good. And, you know, in the minor leagues is what you have that separates a big leaguer from a minor leaguer mostly is guys who can actually draw a walk versus striking out on those strikeout pitches. And Like, I I, I don't know. I'm just not going to get... I this this is probably too negative, but whatever. Um i if, if there was another twenty-four, twenty-five, twenty-six-year-old prospect in double A who put up this line, five innings pitch, three hits, three walks, one and run, ten strikeouts, I'd be like, that's a good start. But I wouldn't be like, oh yeah, this guy should be up in the majors right away. Sure. I'd I, I'd like to see Alec Manoa do more. I think it, it i I I've said all along, I think that this is about getting him right long term, not about getting him okay so that he can you know, fill a depth spot down the stretch that he can sponge up some innings and just get lit up or put up mediocre starts. I I do think this will require them still going back down to the pitching lab in Dunedin, taking whatever information they got from that outing in New Hampshire and, you know, continuing to work. I don't think uh, and there was talk about him being up for the candidate Day weekend. And now there's talk again about him being up to start Friday against the Tigers. I don't know. It seems like a rush for me. The team's obviously very desperate for another starter. But for me, it's all about the long term with Alec Manoa.
2: Mm-hmm. Let's get to the AL East report for this week brought to you by our friends over at Botano, our guy Brandon Douglas hopping on as he always does. And uh, I want to take this opportunity to plug our YouTube channel as well. We're starting to put some podcast content up on the YouTube. So find us Blue Jays Nation
0: on YouTube where you'll find segments like this with Brando. How's it going, man? I'm great, guys. I wish uh, we were once again meeting under better news. Uh The the weather here in the greater Edmonton region over the weekend kind of matched the feeling around the Toronto Blue Jays here on Monday morning. But you know what? I actually come in with a little bit of a ray of sunshine because apart from the one team who we know how they made out in division, which was the Red Sox, of course, getting the sweep, everyone else kind of actually had a pretty equally doom and gloom type weekend. So if we if we look ahead, you know, we got two series against some lesser opponents heading into the all star break. We can Continue to ride that optimism you guys kind of led into the break with there. So the the Red Sox after this week, they will be back at home for three games versus the Texas Rangers starting on Tuesday, much like uh, everybody except the Yankees and Orioles who are going to play each other. Kind of kicking off the new series this week on July 4th down in the States. There'll be games on all day long. So anybody that gets the chance to either work from home or have something on in the background, Tons of baseball to watch on on Tuesday while you're at work or maybe if you have an extended long weekend. Uh, the Rays, they finished up their West Coast swing out in Seattle. They lost two of three. They ended up blowing an early five-run lead in that third game on Sunday. Um, and some more bad news from that game was that Isaac Parrott is their third baseman, who's had a really strong season for them. He ended up leaving the game after a collision. Looks like he is probably just going to be day-to-day, um, at least temporarily, leading into what is going to be their three-game set, a little interleague play versus the Philadelphia Phillies, also starting on Tuesday. Uh, the Yankees, they lost two of three in St. Louis in some interleague play of their own. A lot of rain delay throughout northeast of the United States once again this weekend. So game one did get postponed. Played the doubleheader on Saturday, which they split before ending up losing game number three on Sunday. And uh, some more positive news coming down the Yankees pipeline as well as uh, Carlos Rodon, their big uh, acquisition, Ooh. looking to make his Yankees debut on Friday versus the Damn. Cubs. He will be coming coming off the sixty day. Injured list in that effort. Uh, And then Nestor Cortez, another big name for them uh, to get back in to help with some of their injury troubles. He kind of continues his rehab. Things are looking like they're progressing along overwhelmingly positively. Uh, And the Yankees, they will have a four game in division matchup with the Orioles. That one does get going here on Monday night. Those Orioles, they lost two of three to the Twins. So, uh, you know, here's your chance to plug in how bad the AL Central is. Well, they won a series against a very good Orioles team, Coombsie. Uh, But Austin Hayes, he's also listed day-to-day. He had a little, I think it was a hip contusion he ended up leaving one of their games with. And I, if I'm not mistaken, he was named a reserve um, at the All-Star game. So uh, who knows? Maybe there's one of the injury uh, replacement type things if he can't uh, nurse that back to health right away. Uh, Felix Bautista ended up getting his 20-second save in their lone win in the series. And the Orioles will face... Domingo Yerman coming off of his perfect game here in the series opener on Monday. And uh, as we throw up our standings here, guys. So this is there's been virtually no change in this in the last God, it seems like forever now, with, except, <laughs> with the exception of the, the Blue Jays and the Yankees kind of bouncing around each other a couple of times over this past week. But uh, I do have some more. Interesting things, statistics-wise, about the schedule and the standings, because you guys had talked about, of course, Toronto struggles against the AL East. They are the only team in division with a bad record. But around the entire American League, whether it be uh, the Central or the West, this last little bit, nobody's really playing well. The the fellow teams in the hunt for these playoff spots, the Twins, 5-5 five and five in their last 10, Cleveland, 6-4. and four. Texas, four and six, Houston, six and four, and even in division, no other team's been better than 500 over the last 10 games. Um, And then I'm just going to throw up this guy here. So this is the actual divisional splits, and we continue to rag on the the Blue Jays' struggles in division, but uh, I don't have these ones up on the board, but other divisions against the AL East, there's only two teams that have an above 500 record against the AL East. And it is the, t- um, leading Texas Rangers. And I'm just waiting for this to pull up in front of me. I you know it's reloading at this exact moment, but I believe it is the, uh, the leading division, uh, Minnesota Twins as well. Yeah. The Twins are, oh no, pardon me. Twins are 12 and 14. The Texas Rangers are 10 and nine. No other team besides Texas is above 500 against the AL East. Everybody in division except the Jays who are the abysmal seven and 20. So there are some things to kind of, um, you know what? The, the, the individual struggles are apparent. And we talked about it. The tiebreakers come down to it. It might end up biting the Jays in the ass, but they're kind of in the same boat as the rest of the league at this mm-hmm. point, that this is just a lot of really good baseball teams that all happen to play each other a lot of times. Um, so, you know what? We'll, we'll take that with a grain of salt moving forward and, um, and hope for the best heading into the the all-star break. All right. There you go. Thanks, Brando. And
2: a good chance for the Jays against some weak teams coming up here into the All-Star break to rack up a couple of wins. So let's get into our preview of what's coming up next. Monday, off day today for the Blue Jays. And then it's three against the Chicago White Sox. A little six-game road trip for the Jays heading into the All-Star break. Both the White Sox and the Tigers are well below 500 on the season. So that's something to look at and go, Hey, an interesting little opportunity for the Jays. Uh, the Chai Sox are 37 and 49. The Tigers are 37 and 46. So, Coomzy, this is just a good chance for the Jays to to go out there, put their pedal to the floor and and head into the all-star break on a high. I think that would do a lot of good for this team.
1: Yeah, you pretty much have to, at minimum, win four of these six games, of course. I mean, getting swept by the Red Sox on Canada Day weekend and then going into the all-star break, doing like three of three against the White Sox in Detroit would be far from ideal. So yeah. we should be expecting better than that. The the interesting thing, um, the, the starters coming up here, Bassett on Tuesday versus Lucas Giolito. Jose Barrios versus Lance Lynn, who's had a terrible season. And then say Kikuchi versus question mark, question mark, question mark. And then Friday against Detroit, they got the bullpen day. Will it be Alec Manoa coming up? Will it be the Trevor Richards, Bowdoin Francis thing again? Who knows? And then against Detroit, you have Gosman and Bassett to finish it off on the weekend. So Pretty good chance here. Two pretty, pretty bad teams. We, we know all about the American League Central. I've mentioned it many, many, many times. Jay's got to beat up on these teams because they cannot beat the teams in their division. So they got to do really, really, really well against the Central and the West.
2: Looking at Lucas Giolito, he he's not bad. Like he's got a 3.53 ERA. He he is a solid arm in that White Sox rotation in his last seven games, 3.4 ERA. In his last appearance, he did give up four earned runs to the LA Angels, but he went seven innings. He struck out nine. Like this is a guy who's been pretty consistent for the White Sox. Lance Lynn, on the other hand, has been anything but in his last seven games, he has a 6.75. ERA on the year, his ERA is nearly at six and a half. In his last three outings, he has allowed a total of eleven earned runs, as well, including a wild game for him against the Seattle Mariners camp, where he pitched seven innings, gave up three earned runs, struck out sixteen batters. Like he has been, he's been an absolute roller coaster this year. So hopefully, the Jays can uh, keep him at a low point on that roller coaster. Uh, Three against the White Sox, three against uh, the Tigers. We'll be back on Thursday, though, to break down what happens. Three straight eight o'clock Eastern starts as well. So an hour later on the start times this week for the Toronto Blue Jays as they roll into the south side of Chicago. Coombsy, enjoy this series and we'll chat again er, later on in the week. No questions. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's.